All right, let's go. So tonight is the tale of two kingdoms. Now, you won't find those two words put together in that way, but tonight we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, and it's going to be the superior of our conversation, but we are going to take a moment to talk about the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus puts it this way. So as we have read through Matthew 13, we have learned the reason for parables, that they reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God that's found in Matthew 13, 11. And then it is, we've read the parable of the sower. That was last week where we talked about a man going and sowing a field and some lay on the path, some in the rocks, some in the weeds, and some in good soil. But Jesus turns the page and he tells this parable here in Matthew 13, and it's also found in Mark, but it goes this way. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But when he, the man was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And so Jesus, and then it continues, or, and then he said, and then to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? And, but he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you uproot the wheat among with them. Let them grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles and burn them and gather the wheat into my barns. And this is a common practice in, in the Middle East. This was what sowers did. You, you, would, you threw seed by hand, and if someone really didn't like you, the best thing they could do is ruin your harvest by throwing bad seed, by throwing weeds into your harvest. And if you were a little bit panicky like the servants was, you would think, well, let me just go and try to gather up all the wheat out of the, or all the weeds out of the wheat. But the master knew that if you began to pull the weeds out, you would uproot the wheat and you would lose the whole harvest. And so he began to say, no, we wait. And then we'll tell the reapers. Because at some point I would think that you would see little blades of grass coming out of the dirt and they would all kind of look the same. And even as they grew, you would see them going, hmm, those some here look a little different than those there. But then finally, once they had come to a full head, does anyone remove... This is a great gladiator. Remember, anyone remember that movie? And, and um, I just, uh, was it? Gerard Butler is a centurion, and he's walking through the fields that are golden, and he's touching the, that, that's what, he, you know, let's just use that in your imagination. Just this great field, acre after acre of golden. But if there was weeds in it, there would have been a clear distinction between the two. So this is what the, the, the disciples would have heard. This is what, the people would have understood this is something they literally would have seen on a regular basis. So skipping a few verses, we're going to go to verse 36, and this is the explanation. And it says, Then he left the crowds and went to the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So that would be himself. And the field is the world, and the good seed is 
the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds of the sons, the weeds are the son of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all those who sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who has ears, he who has ears, let him hear. And so we, we see in a few short verses that Jesus is telling us that the, the world is the field, that this earth, this planet, and all these people that you see in this room and around the world represent either wheat or the weeds. And that God has established a kingdom, but it's going through a process, getting ready to be gathered at a certain point. And that is what is coming at the end of the age. Now, the kingdom of God is, is a huge topic. It is, it's been talked about by many. There's, you can find tons and tons of books about it. There is an element truly of what it is to come and that it is now. And, and let me show you this. And so if we go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. The garden was a perfect place. It was a place where God had intended all of humanity to reside, to be fruitful and multiply. And it describes it as such a beautiful place as this. The man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they became one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and unashamed. This was a world without sin. That This was a world where Adam and Eve were able to be fully vulnerable emotionally physically and spiritually to one another but what happens for many of us we know this story but it comes in the beginning of genesis chapter 3 it says now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the fields and and we know that the serpent is satan he said to the woman did god actually say and that is the first seed sown of the enemy. This is the first weed that was planted in the mind of Eve to distract her from the truth. He says, You shall not have eat of any tree in the garden. The trees in the garden are and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the tree in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the tree uh, that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. The second lie. These are the two lies that Satan tells each and every one of us. He really isn't that good. He's just really repetitive. Because the one way that Satan's going to get us to sin is by saying, God didn't really say that. That's not what God really meant. And if you do it, it's going to be okay. It's no big deal. You want a quick conviction? Quick conviction. Speed limits. They are posted on the road. They're posted evenly across all roads. 
And, and the moment we decide that, you know what, that rule doesn't apply to me, what have we done? Well, we have decided that we are a better lawmaker than those who have established the law. And it, we can do it so simply that all we said, well, you know what, 45 is okay, but 50 is so much better. Or 55 is so much better. Or 60 is so much better. And, and we know that sometimes we can bend those rules just a little bit before the local law enforcement says, you know what, that's a little too fast. Right? It's, it's silly, but it's true. And, and I'm not saying that you're all out to be lawbreakers and you're all out to be ungodly, but it's that mindset that Satan wants us to have that we can bend any rule. It's covetousness. It's murder. It's lying. It's adultery. The moment we say, well, you know what? That isn't that bad. The next step isn't that bad either. You see, it, it, it's not that, I, I, I struggle a little bit that, that Eve all of a sudden went from, well, God said no, which is what she responded with, to then, you surely shall not die. And then the next verse, it says, so when the woman saw that it was, the tree was good for food, it was the light to the eyes, and that the tree was, uh, be, or that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate of it. And she gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. I, part of me, and, and I can't prove this, but something tells me that maybe Satan had to do this over and over and over and over. And, and just imagine as Eve and Adam are walking this garden, the serpent's there in the tree going, Psst, hey, over here, Psst, hey, over here. And eventually she gave attention to it. Now this is where I also get mad at Adam. Adam, as we read before in 2.15, was placed in the garden to work and to keep it. So the serpent should have never been there in the first place. He should have been the one to eradicate the snake before it ever had the opportunity to wreck their lives. But unfortunately, they sinned. And that's when it says, And then their, both their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. All of a sudden, sin has now placed a barrier between us as human beings. Each of us in this room will never be fully vulnerable with one another because of sin. This is, this is going to sound a little funny, but this is actually why we wear clothes. Is there, there's something that we're trying to hide because we don't want to be vulnerable to someone else. This is why we'll never tell someone else the whole truth. We may want to, we might desire to, we might try to give our best, but the reality is, is because of sin and the shame that's connected to it, we can never be fully honest and open because we are always going to wonder what they're going to think about me. It says, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was part of God's ritual. He was regular visiting the garden. He, in this moment, right before they ate of the fruit, God was in fullness, in physical stature, probably Christ himself walking with Adam and Eve. And this was the relationship that God intended for all of us, was that we could literally walk with the Lord. But unfortunately, instead of running to the Lord, it says the man and his wife 
hid themselves. Because now what has happened, God has separated, sin has separated us from God. And the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? Now, I believe God has a great sense of humor because I'm fully convinced God knew where he was, but he was looking for honesty and Adam didn't give it. And if you read the rest of the story, which we don't have time for, we know that this turns very bad for everyone. There's enmity between the serpent and the seed of Eve and between Adam and Eve, there's now hatred and there's bitterness and there's toil that's going to come out of this. And unfortunately, this is the kingdom that we live in. But now God didn't leave it this way. And we now move forward to Exodus 25. Now, to our best guess, scholars estimate about 3,600 years have passed from Adam and Eve in the garden to Moses getting ready to fulfill this commandment by God, which says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God is fu- I don't know what happened. That was weird. God is finally ready to begin to dwell with man, but in a very, very limited capacity. This sanctuary, or what at this point would be known as the tabernacle, would be a beautiful tent. But the holy place where God would dwell was actually about the size of one of these tables. It was about a six by six or eight by eight room. It wasn't very large, but that was the space, the the real estate that God would dwell. And only one man could enter in that place one time of year because of sin. We, We know that in this, there is a sacrificial system that's established to allow a man to enter into the presence of God. There, there's, if you read about the garments, they actually had bells sewn into the, the bottom of their robes so that you could hear them. And if they stopped moving, they tied a rope to pull them out. Because to stand in the presence of God in sin would be immediate death. But God desired to be with his people. And as God begins to establish his kingdom, he goes forward and now establishes a king. Many of us know King David. He fought Goliath. He had a child with Bathsheba. He was a royal mess. But there was a promise. 2 Samuel 7 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be forever before me, and your, your throne shall be established forever. This is the first, one of the first promises of the lineage of Jesus, for the kingship of Jesus. Now, from the time the tabernacle, the tent was built to the time that Solomon actually finished the granite or stone temple was 500 years. So there's a lot of time that God is is dwelling in a very small place. But now we get to Jesus. Now we have a thousand years from the time of David's this promise to this moment here in Matthew 27. It says, and behold... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No longer would God dwell in a single space, but he was now about ready to launch into a new place in our hearts, in our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? Do you know that about yourself? That as a believer that the 
that the God who created the universe, who once resided in a very small space because of sin, now has taken residence inside of you. It is a beautiful thought that, that as Paul writes, it says that the Spirit, God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are his temple. God has called you to be holy and beautiful where you are. God knows everything about you. He knows every hair on the head. He knows everything you've done and everything you're going to do. He knows what you're going to ask before you ask him. But out of this, we have to live differently. But this is God's movement from the garden, where at one point God walked and dwelt with man, to being in a tabernacle and then the temple and the holy place, to now being dwelling in the hearts of men. This is where God's kingdom has become anew. This is another beautiful promise in Hebrews 4.16. It says, Let us have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. See, at one point, we had, you had to be a priest to enter into the holies of holies. There was a sacrifice that had to be made. You had to go in covered in blood and taking blood with you in order to be in the presence of God. But because of what Christ has done for you, you have eternal access to the throne room of God. That, that whatever your need is, whatever your situation is, whatever you're going through, you have the ability to go before the king of the universe. That's huge. This is not something you, you, we take lightly. And unfortunately, as, as Americans, I think we, we have kind of lost the grandeur of a king. There was one point in U.S. history where you could just walk into the White House. Right about the time of Lincoln. You could literally just walk in the White House, knock on the door, say, I need to talk to the president. And you know what he did? He talked to you. But now you have to have an appointment, what, six, nine months in advance to go see the president? You know, you have to go through all the security. You have to go through all this process to go before the president. But, but it is, it, it, there, was a, there was a sacredness. There was a, a high reverence to go into the king's palace. So you, some of you might know the story of Esther. Esther was in a certain place in the Babylon, Babylonian Persian Empire. And she went before the king. But she knew that if she went uninvited, that she would die. Literally, in, in the courtroom, they would behead you if you were to approach the king unwelcomed unless the king extended his scepter to you to enter into God's presence without being cleansed of sin and without an invitation would be certain death but because of Christ you have it so whatever you're going through whatever your situation whatever your season you can go before the king with confidence, with boldness in some translations, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Who needs that today? Exactly. If you get nothing out of the rest of what I say, 
Take this verse home. I'm so excited about that one. I love that one. But this is what is to come. See, from, from the promise made here in Hebrews 4.16 to this promise here made in Revelations 21, we have to wait. We have to be patient. Because, as John wrote, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And the whole, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is the same throne we just referenced in Hebrews 4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That this new earth and this new heaven will be a place where God will dwell with us. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That, that once again, that Eden that God had intended will now be reestablished, but no longer a little garden, but at this enormous, glorious city with a king who is pure and holy, and we get to be there. And this is the, the, the covering from, from Genesis to Revelation. This is a promise for us and that's what we see in those few verses there in Matthew, that there is a point, a coming day, when God will call his faithful home. And I hope you come with us. Moving forward, another parable Jesus tells, and you see it here in Mark, or Matthew 13 and Mark 4, and they somewhat parallel, starting in 13, it says, and he told another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field, and it's the smallest of all seeds. But when it grow, has grown, it grows larger than a garden plant. becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Mark 4, he said, And what can be... So with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what shall, parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground, the smallest of seeds, all the seeds of the earth, yet when it is sown, it grows and up and becomes larger than all the trees or garden plants and sprouts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in it. This, this little plant, and now... Apparently, as I, as I was studying, they're actually seeds smaller than a mustard seed. Didn't know that until I studied. Not a botanist, it's not my thing. But, but you can imagine this mustard seed is very, very small. And historical records actually have the mustard plant growing to 15 feet, enough for a man on a horse to ride underneath it, if allowed to completely grow wild. But even on a regular plant that would grow would be seven to eight feet tall so it would be noticeable in the garden because that's what jesus describes it as actually as a herb so if you planted your basil and your parsley and all yeah parsley rosemary etc but you now have this mustard plant you go little 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 oh yeah mustard but there's something about this slight the small seed the small seed of faith, right? That's what Jesus says. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. 
But out of this actually comes something greater. That the faith that God has planted inside of you will grow and it will do, have a benefit for those around you. He says it this way in Matthew thirteen thirty three. He changes his parables. He says, and he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Any bakers in the room? One, two, maybe. Okay. The rest of us need to go to the Publix and find out what leaven is. A woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. The truth is that our faith should be a means of influence to the world around us. That, that as we go about from workplace to school to home to play, whatever you're doing, that as you go forward, that as the people are around you, they are either going to reject you because of your light, because of your goodness, or they're going to embrace you and change because of you. So use your influence. Each of us in this room has a circle of influence. Each of us have a group of friends and people, whether they're family, co-workers, peers. But as we use our faith, we must remember to be kind. The Bible is never to be thumped over someone's head. We should not be scolding someone over their decisions. But Jesus always embraced with love and kindness. But it also requires an element of intentionality. You have to be intentional as you share your faith. You can't just throw the seed on the ground. Anyone remember the movie Armageddon? Okay. So Bruce Willis is going to go blow up an asteroid, but there's this astrophysicist and he talks about, he says, if you take a firecracker and you put it in your hand and you light it and it goes off, you probably just burn the surface of your hand. But it's when you encapsulate it that will do the real damage. You have to know where you're planting your seed. You have the word of God. Take it, study it, learn it, but share it in the right way, in the right places. Make sure that it's getting planted just like the sower as we learned in that parable before so that it can grow and bear fruit. Jesus tells this one about the kingdom in Mark 4. Says, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. Now, for all of us who've taken about fourth grade science, we probably actually now have learned how a seed germinates, but that was not something they studied then. But it's, it's this process, day and night, day and night, that he's waking and going, and he's planted the field, and he goes out, and he goes out, and still nothing. And now all of a sudden, there's a little something that's growing. It says, the earth produces it by itself. First the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. And when it is ripe, once it's put to the sickle, because the harvest has come. And this is our faith. This is how we grow. It takes the right soil, the right temperature, the right environment for us to grow. We have to be patient. Some of you might be very new to the faith. You haven't been Christians very long at all. Maybe a few weeks, a few months, maybe even a couple years. And you're still learning a lot of this. A lot of the, the Christianese or the terminology might be a little vague. You may not get it all. That's okay. That's why you're here. 
For others of you, you are more mature Christians. You've grown. You've actually, in the process of bearing fruits, you have poured into the lives of others. You've sown seeds in the lives of others. And this is what we're called to do. But we're called to grow patiently and steadily. And I think, as, as we would all know, we don't know one plants a seed today in hopes for a fruit, a harvest tomorrow, right? But we sow in spring and come harvest season, we reap the harvest. We also just don't abandon it. My son's been growing tomato plants as a science project, and we have actually continued the growth process because we're actually starting to get tomatoes on his plants. But had we just done it for the science project for the four weeks and then just let it go, we'd have a bunch of dead plants. You can't just abandon your faith. You have to continue in your own intentionality for your faith. I hope you, you seek it out. I love these next couple Bible verses. I did one uh, some years ago, actually. I dressed up as Indiana Jones. Uh, but it says, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in a field. And immediately when I think of this, I think of either uh, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark or the, what's the other one? Where's the cup? Last Crusade, right? Right, and, and so Indiana Jones, he's, he's my favorite hero because he's really not a superhero. He has no superpowers. He's just smart and adventurous. And, and so... But this man here has found this treasure. Imagine him plowing a field. He's behind his ox, he's behind his donkey, and he's plowing a field, and all of a sudden, thump! That's weird. Now, we know, actually, it's not even his field. He says, which the man found and covered up. But in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. And so this man is sowing this field. He's working for someone, and he, he hits this bump, and he uncovers this chest and I can imagine it's full of gold and silver and jewels and he's like <gasps> and, and then he comes home and says honey we're selling it all and she's got like you're out of your mind but he does he sells it all he goes to the master of the field says I want that field and he buys it and then now has this treasure that was worth everything everything and this is, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearl or of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Both these men, both these individuals have found something of the greatest value that was worth everything they had. The kingdom of God is the most valuable thing and it's worth everything we have. We have to be willing to sacrifice to find this kingdom. Now, the beautiful thing is it's actually not that hard to find. It's here in the Word of God. We're, we're, we're living in it. But sometimes we like to hold on to things, and we make a sacred calf out of things that should have never been so. Whether it be a job or a relationship, a material possession, Maybe it's just the way we use our time. I mean, I got one of these damnable devices, and it steals a bunch of my time. 
But the kingdom of God is worth everything you have. It's worth your, all your mind and all your heart and all your soul. That's how we're supposed to love God. Right? This should be all of us, all the time, loving God. But it's hard work. It's going to cost you something. This is my life verse. This is my favorite Bible verse in all the Bible. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, this is not, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? But that God is going to meet your need to accomplish his will. If, if you put his kingdom first. Struggles at home? Seek God. Struggles at work? Seek God. Struggles inside your head? Seek God. But if you run around trying to figure out everything else and you go, well, you know what? The one thing I haven't tried is pray, so I might as well give it a shot. It's not quite what God wants of you. He might answer those prayers. He might. God has definitely answered those Hail Mary, Mary's 911 last minutes of life prayers. But for all the Bible characters, had they truly just obeyed God from the beginning, Saul would have been king a lot longer. David would have never lost his son. Solomon would have never divided the kingdom. More people would have gone into the promised land with Moses. Samson would have never had his hair cut. The list goes on and on. But that moment we said, you know what, my way's better. Like, I, I'm going to control the speed limit. I'm going to set my own standards. I'm going to do it my way. We are no longer focused on the kingdom of God. So this is why we're here. We're here to seek this beautiful thing that as described from Genesis to Revelation, uh, it is the throne room of grace of God that we can take every need and every supplication and every request and God listens. That God knows your situations. He knows your thoughts. And he loves you in spite of them. That's the better part. So we end with this. The kingdom of God should be your top priority for it is your citizenship. You'll actually find that in Philippians 3.20. This is temporary. This life is fleeting. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Just watch the news. We are not guaranteed to wake up tomorrow or even to make it through the day. So seeking the kingdom of God must be our top priority because it is our citizenship. Remember, you have access to the throne room of God anytime. Not on special occasions, not when you're invited, but right now. Right now. If there's something you have to take to God, stop listening to me and take it to God right now. Use your influence for the kingdom. I have the ability to influence 7,500 people. That's pretty cool. 
Imagine if each of you had another 100 or 70, 75 or 100 people to influence. That multiplies out really quick. Correct? Establish a routine to help you grow in Christ. Growth takes time. My encouragement is this. Uh, any night owls in the room? Night owls? People who feel, like, think productive really, like late at night or in the evening hours? Okay. Any morning people? Wow, there's more morning people than I realized. How about midday people? Best in the middle of the day. Okay. I feel like not everyone raised their hand. I'm feeling, okay. Night owls. And morning people. Keep your hands up if you raise your hand if you're night owls. All right, where's my morning people? No, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. And midday people. Is that everyone? I'm still feeling like we're lacking. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm going to give you the freedom right now, right now to seek God in your top priority time. You do not need to seek God at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. That's great if you can. It's not me. Personally, I wake up at 6, I get, my, get dressed, I leave my house at 7 o'clock. I take my kids to school. I come to work. I get settled in my office, and about 8.30 to 9.30 is my quiet time. That's when I, I sit alone with God because it works with my schedule. I could get up at 5, but if I got up at 5, it would make my dogs up, and that means my whole house is up, and that's, there's no Jesus in that moment. <laughs> right? The other is also true. I find it easier to stay up late. I'm very, my brain is very active between 9 and 11. So it's easy for me to sit and study between 9 and 11. I'm useless the rest of the day, to be honest, but that's, that's what it is. But, but I need you to have that freedom. If you feel that 1 a.m. is the most blissful time of the day, then study at 1. If you like 5 a.m., God bless you. Does that make sense? You have to find what works for your schedule. If, if you're a parent and you have kid, little kids and they need you all the time, find that, find that season, that, their nap time. If they sleep from 1 to 2 in the afternoon, then, then that's your study time. They're asleep, you, you study. God, God is good with that. So long as you make it a priority to seek Him. Make it part of your routine. Lastly, don't get overwhelmed with trying to get all the Bible at one shot. You can't do it anyways. I, I think it actually takes about 45 hours to listen to the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one shot. So you're not going to do it in an hour. Find chunks. Find a passage. And don't speed on. Sit on it. About four years ago, I sat on Psalms 1 for three months. That's all I read every day for three months. It was amazing. God's okay with that. Spend time with God. Find ways to connect with Him. Establish a routine. So one last time. The kingdom of God is your top priority. You have access to the throne room of grace at any time. Use your influence to advance the kingdom and establish a routine. Let us pray. Dearly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for your kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done.
The most powerful line in any prayer is to know that you are in control. I ask for your grace upon every one of us. Lord, we, we are we're human. We make mistakes. But you love us. Lord, I pray for each person here that they will find that time to sit with you, to dwell with you, to, to tabernacle with you, that they can be in the presence of God in a real way, that they can grow in understanding of Scripture, that they express their prayers, that they begin to pray for others. Lord, I pray for healing of bones and marrow, of, of blood and vessels, of tendons and muscles. Father God, you, you know us inside and out, and I ask for a healing for, for the many, even, even those leaders who are out tonight because of an illness. Lord, in the name of Jesus, pour out your Spirit upon them. Father God, for our friends who weren't able to make it tonight, we pray a blessing over them as well. Lord, we miss them, and we pray a blessing over them. And for all who are here, Lord, let us go out as salt and light. Let us know you and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.